Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And online yesterday from the New York Times, in today's physical print edition of the paper, this story with this headline, Another DeSantis Shakeup Opens Wider Path for Haley in New Hampshire. His latest strategy is to largely bypass its primary, meaning the New Hampshire primary election. The story says, Straining to recover after a bruising defeat in Iowa, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida and his allies moved on Wednesday to shake up his operation yet again with his super PAC, that's never back down, carrying out layoffs in the campaign, signaling it would largely bypass New Hampshire's primary election next week in favor of competing in South Carolina. Of particular interest to me was the sidebar, which had this headline, CNN and ABC cancels debate ahead of New Hampshire primary, the story repeating what the headline imparts, and it has these two sentences I'd like to share. Only Mr. DeSantis, who finished second in the Iowa caucuses, had said he would debate. Former President Donald Trump, who had won Iowa overwhelmingly, has skipped every debate, and Nikki Haley, who came in third in Iowa, said on Tuesday she would not do any more debates unless Mr. Trump participated. The final sentence of that story. Mr. Trump, who is far ahead in polls in both states, meaning in South Carolina and in New Hampshire, has been uninterested in debating either of them. He has cast the race race as over and himself as the inevitable nominee. With us today to help dissect this and tease out these facts and perspective, we have Josh Silver, Northampton-based political consultant, political expert, Josh Silver, You've been telling us for months, Josh, that the race is over. Is it? Yeah, Bill. I mean, this is the one time that Trump and and, and I agree. It is over. Uh, and I love that Bill keeps bringing it back up. First of all, hello. Good day, Dan, Buzz, Bill. Good day, it's Josh good to be Silver. here. It's good to be here. And we are so happy you're back. Uh, yeah. I mean, this has never been a race. It's not a race. Like You know, it's like, honestly, we could talk about anything else even bill's designer sweatshirt which by the way people is this from like 12 years ago was very hip in san francisco <laughs> and, and expensive and expensive no one talks about it. he's very hip but no this is it's so over listen if you, it, 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 okay okay go ahead. you say it's over it's and you've so been telling over. us it's over since so before over. it began yeah, yeah. here's what i want to know i would really like to understand this better over 154 million people cast votes in the 2020 presidential election. There were approximately 110,000 Republican voters who participated in this primary. And it seems to me that what we're saying that is 110,000 non-representative Republicans, white, rural, older, not representative of America, 110,000, out of by the, which is only about 15% of the entire Republican uh, voters uh, in, in, in Iowa. Well, it was cold that night. But, Bill, you're looking in the wrong place. Okay. I want to know. Why do those 110,000 non-representative people get to essentially make the choice for 154 million American voters? Okay. Well, so first as a starting point, we know this. I've said it a million times. Like, we have a deeply dysfunctional and broken election system. The fact that we have this sequenced set of primaries from Iowa to New Hampshire to South Carolina and, and beyond and all of the implications based on how the candidates do in those states and the way it creates momentum. It's so fundamentally broken, right? Like we should all, well, aside from the fact that we need to have 
a ranked choice voting system and allow third and fourth and fifth parties to run and win without being spoilers. And aside from the fact that we need to get money out of politics so that politicians are not routinely bought and sold as they are on both sides of the aisle, Republicans more than Democrats, but both. Aside from all that, and should, redistricting has to be fair. Yeah, I mean, over eighty percent of U.S. congressional districts are are decided when the primary is decided. The general is irrelevant. So aside from that, this all needs to be fixed. We should also all vote in the primaries on the same day nationally, so that there you don't have all this momentum. But regardless, Bill, you're looking in Iowa, and you're correct. One hundred and ten thousand largely older, very white voters should not create momentum or or ding people. Like DeSantis, who's now polling 5% in New Hampshire. But that's where we need to look. Because if you look in New Hampshire, Trump, this is an aggregate of polls from uh, 538. Trump has 45% of the vote. Haley Haley has 33% of the vote. DeSantis has 5% of the vote. This is New Hampshire. And then you look to South Carolina, and it's even worse. Because Trump in South Carolina has 54% of the vote compared to Haley, who was the former governor of South Carolina, at 25%, DeSantis at a paltry 12. So it's over. Like if you, if, if nobody can win in other than Trump in those three states, there's no momentum shift. And then you get to the fact that Trump is polling like insanely higher than his opponents in the, the, in the, the nomination fight by some 63% for him, 11%, almost 12% for Haley, and 10% for DeSantis nationally. So forget it. Game over. All right. Well, let me, Josh Silver, just repeat, because when I tried to talk, to shed a little bit of optimism in this thing, Bill Newman threw literally a bucket of cold water on me filled with ice. And this is what I said. First of all, even in Iowa, he, only he Trump, only got 50% of the vote, which means... On a, in a caucus, which means 50% didn't want him. There was recently a Reuters Ipsos poll that said 31% of voters who vote for Trump said that if convicted, they won't vote for Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, I then pointed out in New Hampshire, Haley can make some serious inroads. Super Tuesday is a whole lot of primaries going on at Super Tuesday. And right now we have the Eugene Carol Carroll matters going on. There's, sure. a, there's a whole lot of... Trump stinks stuff going on right now that might turn some people, even in the privacy of the voting booth, they might say, I really don't want to vote for that guy. I'll make my neighbors think I am, but I really don't want to vote for that guy. Yeah. What do you think? Okay, I think a couple of things. I think first you got to remember there's only two of the four major court cases against Trump where Trump could actually realistically face conviction before November, right? It's the January 6th federal case, and it's, I believe it's this, this, well, King, it's it's not because she's already he's already been found guilty. This is really about this is the, this is the this is the damages phase. Yeah, of that but there, so and one other. Uh, Frank, forgive me, but I'm Fulton losing. County. Yeah, thank no. Fulton County's gonna Fulton take County's longer. never going to go. But it's a Rico case. It's longer. It's but 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 you, you you get confused when there's 91 counts in four cases. You actually start to get confused about which one is which. But the, here's the thing, Buzz. If there's a conviction, I agree with you. I think that could be the death knell for for Trump based on the numbers. But there's all these other sort of dynamics at play that are interesting. The, the, the biggest amongst them is just the 20% rise in day-to-day costs for the average American over the past three years. And I know what you're saying, and it is true, which is 
we are actually suffering from a one-two punch of one, the, the cost of the pandemic, which was inevitable no matter who's in the White House today. And two, the always delayed by years effect of Republican administrations who do this. It's always funny to say trickle down economics. Like whoever doesn't follow trickle down economics, the idea that if you do tax cuts for corporations and billionaires, then everyone benefits, which is so funny. Right. Give more millions to the billionaires and the, you'll get the crumbs and everyone will be happy. Yeah, everyone, that's that's a, theory. Yeah, that, like that, a dog who hangs out under the table. It's so funny. And it's been going since Reagan, right? Since 1980, which is now a long time ago. So you've got that as the, that's the shadow that's hanging over the country. But there's all these interesting dynamics that actually make Dan freak out, which is like in, the, in 2016 and 2020, there was nearly never a time when, when Trump would poll higher than a would-be Democratic opponent in the general presidential election. Not hardly once. I mean, maybe just a, a couple, handful. Now, since 2023, he's regular, regularly beating Biden head-to-head matchups. He's currently in aggregate of polls up by two points. And this is something... This is nationwide? Nationwide. And, of course, what matters the most are the swing states like Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona, uh, Wisconsin, where he's actually up by close to 10 points in, in many of those states. That's what should put terror in, in Dan's heart. It does. Uh, yeah. So, so there's a, a, a several other dynamics that are going on. I know we've talked about this before. Black, Latino, and young voters are leaving the Democratic Party in droves right now. This is thanks to a few things. It has to do with Biden's uh, unwillingness to publicly rebuke Israel for war atrocities. It has to do with his age. It has to do with his lack of ability just to simply connect with them, which is something that has plagued Joe Biden since not just when he's 80, but it's since he's been 40. He's never been a great campaigner. He's reached about 20% of black voters who now are supporting Trump instead of Biden, which is kind of a stunning number. Um, No precedent for that for any Republican nominee in the last 40 years who has gotten that level of support from blacks. And it's Trump, who ironically sounds like a Nazi and and echoes of Nazi, which we'll talk about after the break. Um, But then there's also these other factors uh, that that just really make. Uh, a, a deep worry about the November election founded where it is highly, I would say the betting odds are in favor of Trump today, but so much can change in how many, 10 months. Okay. So tell me about the, what can change part because you are really depressing. Well, you, I mean, the fact is, is maybe the Democrats can start to talk about economics and deal with the, the immigration, because I think right now they're leaning on things like democracy and abortion, these cultural issues where they have an edge and they're leaning into these issues. Democracy is a cultural yeah, issue? No, like, like, well, yeah, abortion, w- abortion is a cultural issue where they have an edge because more people support choice than not. But democracy, because they believe incorrectly that the American people actually really care about democracy when, in fact, compared to economic issues, they don't. Well, let me take you up on that, uh, Josh. um, Joe Biden has been talking about Bidenomics now for how long? For six months? And it hasn't resonated with people. And so my question is, they've tried to make the economic argument, but they have largely failed to penetrate to society to say, hey, inflation's coming down. You will be better off. Things are getting better. People don't feel it in their day-to-day lives. Go ahead. Yeah, and he's had enormous uh, 
legislative accomplishments and uh, Green New Deal and and, and the, infrastructure. Yeah, infrastructure in particular for which he gets zero credit. Doesn't matter when inflation's up twenty percent in three years and. The fact is, is in, for the first time in decades, the Republicans are more appealing to working class voters than the Democrats. Up until up until the last the turn of the century, the Democrats were very clearly the party for those in the country who were not white. They were the party for those who were working class, and that is starting to flip. The Republicans. It was the Roosevelt. It was the Franklin Roosevelt Coalition. Frankly, right. they continued. I think of the culture wars. This is Dan. I think of the culture wars. The Republicans have been able to portray Democrats as elitists from from universities in Hollywood, and there seems to be a big contingency of Americans who are working class who see the Democrats as college educated snobs who look down upon everybody. And the Republicans are trying to capitalize on that. But I wanted to bring up a scenario with you, Josh. I'm curious to know what you think here. Uh, all right. Haley or Ron will drop out at some point. Who's more likely to successfully derail Donald Trump's win to the nomination? Would it be Ron or would it be Nikki Haley? What do you mean derail? Nobody's derailing it. Well, here, here's an argument. If Haley, if Haley left, would Ron DeSantis have a better shot at it than if Ron were to leave? And, and, Not at and all. T- no? For, for two reasons. One, and also I just want to mention, six out of ten Americans don't have a college degree. So, yeah. so just remember that as in terms of the class issue that you're yeah. correctly asserting has really hurt the Democrats. But no, I mean, J- Ron DeSantis has demonstrated a stunning inability to connect with voters, which is the biggest reason why he's tanked, is that he's a jerk and people see it. It's transparent. Remember when a kid was eating a, a, an ice cream and he was like, well, there's a lot of sugar. And like he's just like, he doesn't understand humans. Remember that? <laughs> he shamed, he like fat shamed a little kid. So like, I don't remember that. Yeah, no. yeah. And Nikki Haley is too moderate for the Republican voting base. But I know that Dan... That but, bi- but thankfully, there's no racism in American history. So too moderate. Well, and that's why we're going to talk about Nazism after the break. <laughs> we're going to do that right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Northampton-based political consultant, political expert, Josh Silver. We were talking while we were off air about Elise Stefanik, representative from New York, who is auditioning as we speak to be the vice president, presidential candidate of the Republican Party, of the Republican Party, with Donald Trump. Josh, you think that's going to happen? And as a secondary part of that question, is she as right-wing and as crazy as Trump? Oh, yeah. The answer is yes and yes. And of course, I'm notoriously bad at predicting these things because picking a VP is extremely hard to predict. There are so many complex factors going on behind the scenes. You can, however, go through and look at other would-be running mates for Trump, and you can very quickly check them off as like not available. Like, you know, he would never run with one of his current opponents. There's been way too much bad blood. He has to. Go. So this idea that Nikki Haley could run with him because she's Never. accommodated not in a him. million years. Yeah, which not will in a million. Years. And if Trump wins and Stefanik is the vice president, that's going to kill Nikki Haley for the next presidential round. Yeah, although you're getting ahead of yourself. Okay. Uh, one thing that we did touch on in the last segment that I think it deserves underscoring is immigration. And the fact that, and Buzz, you're a big expert on this topic, I mean, from a legal perspective, but, I mean, it is 
something where the Democrats are currently deeply out of step with the American public. That is a reality. And there's going to be have to be some give by the Biden administration to show a more. And, and of course, there was one hundred and fifty six thousand deportations, I think, in last year from the United States. One hundred fifty six thousand. It's not like the U.S. is just welcoming immigrants in writ large like the Republicans Right, but people say. believe we are. Yeah, but there's going to have to be some sort of leaning in by the Democrats to, to actually meet the American people where they are in order, in order to win the general. And in order to win the general and in order to somehow mitigate the damage that's being done to the Democratic Party, leaving aside whether the policies are right or wrong, what the perception is the Democrats have opened up the border to illegal immigration. And it's not true, but that's the, that is the that is the perception that is being wide, yeah, widely. And, and what I would like to know from you, Josh, is what is it that the Democrats can do, should do, must do, and will the deal that is percolating now in order for Biden to get the money he needs to for Ukraine in exchange for which the Republicans are saying fix the border as we want it. Yeah. Um, you think that will actually help Biden? I, I do. I, as far as the particulars of exactly what policy should be enacted that could give some both symbolic and substantive give to those, the majority of Americans who want to see the border policed in a more tight manner. That's a better question for Buzz than me. I'm not an expert. But I do think that what layers from a political point of view, and interestingly here, is the fact that that Trump is increasingly acting as a Nazi. And, and there are so many comparisons in American politics since World War II to Hitler. Like, oh, he's a Hitler. He's a Hitler. And they created something. I got this article that I wanted to share, which is there's something called Godwin's Law. Have you heard about this? I have not. It was named after Mike Godwin, an early internet enthusiast who coined it in 1990 on the internet. And he's actually still alive. He's, a, he's uh, I think, a professor. Um, and, and, and essentially, it's understood that often the party mentioning Hitler or the Nazis is losing the argument. Um, and that's Godwin's law. Like if you, if you are acting like Hitler, it's going to hurt you. I do think that law does continue today. I think that if Biden can continue to assertively demonstrate that, that Trump is acting like Hitler, like he did with poisoning the blood of Americans and referring to his opponents, to liberals as vermin, as Trump did to the Jews in, in 19, in the 1930s Hitler's and 40s. Hitler did to the Jews. Sorry. Yeah, same. Yeah, they, they conflate in my mind. <laughs> um, but that this is a, a soft spot for, this is a weak spot for Trump where it's working in the, in the primary, but it's not going to work in the general. And I think you're wrong because what Trump does is he simply reflects back what is true about him. If you call him a Nazi, he'll say, Joe Biden is destroying America. He is an authoritarian. He's taking away all of your freedoms. Look what he's doing to us. And that will be as much of a headline as anything that Biden says, and he will negate the truth, which is that Trump is in fact an authoritarian. This he is, is in fact going to tr rule like a Nazi. This is a man who I, I believe, he really believes, he's found guilty of having raped a woman, having penetrated a woman, and he calls himself a victim. He, was he believes he was found liable. He wasn't found guilty. Well, he wasn't liable. Criminal. Well, and remember that victim, no coincidence, testified in court this week at the same time that Trump intentionally raised sort of chaos in the courtroom and was threatened by the the judge to get removed from the trial. To which he said, "I'd like nothing more." 
And what, to which the judge said, I understand that. Yeah. So, and what was this, the news narrative all week about? It was about the Trump interaction with the lawyer, not what the victim said. And as Maggie ha- Haberman said on CNN last night or yesterday, um, that the, the one of the biggest problems with the current political uh, sort of dynamic around elections is that facts don't matter, that there is no agreed upon set of facts. And she, who's the, the chronicler of Trump more so than anyone else on the, on the planet, has underscored that the 2024 election is going to be dark, it's going to be gruesome, it's going to be worse than anything we've ever seen, including 16 and 20, in terms of how base the discourse is going to be and how it's about who do you hate and who hates you back rather than what you stand for as a candidate. And so, you know, Dan's kind of inherent sort of pessimism and worry that he brings to the world is actually founded in 2024. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm va- validating You're welcome. You. Yeah. And, and this is an election that is terrifying on all fronts because it is not an oversight to say, and I'm saying this as someone who's not a Democrat, I'm an independent. I think the system is broken and I think that working people are getting screwed over uh, daily. But I do think that, that the Republican Party has become a vehicle of a Nazi-like movement that is tapping into people's fears and driving otherism and racism and xenophobia as the sort of the founding foundational doctrine of the party. And there you have the Democrats who are sort of misfits who don't know how to run campaigns and make missteps constantly have a terrible presidential candidate. You put it all together and we've got a problem. Well, maybe uh, if I could just add, maybe the best case scenario uh, for the Republicans is that they're really more of a nationalist conservative movement. You know, it does make me think about Germany in many ways. There was a feud about what the Germany in the thirties, the thirties, sorry. Yes. Germany in the third. Well, even today, I mean, we could also talk about Germany contemporary. I have a lot of information about that. Uh, It is moving to this party called AFD and they are this right wing populist movement. They have a plan now to expel all the migrants and immigrants out of the country. But going back to the thirties, there was a huge feud about what conservatism actually was. You had the Nazis on the right, but you had also nationalist conservatives, uh, Hindenburg and other people who were this nationalist party. And there was a feud about what the right wing should be in the country. And they didn't like each other, by the way, the the Nazis versus the nationalist conservatives. They they agreed on a lot of things, but they were feuding for the same base, really. And so, I mean, I'm only adding this context is I think what we're witnessing is a fight for what the Republican Party stands for. And I mean, out of Iowa, we don't know what it will stand for. If Nikki Haley wins in New Hampshire, they're close. If Nikki Haley, hold on, if Nikki Haley wins in New Hampshire, that will be her last win. That will be her last win. I think her her issue where she has to win is South Carolina, right? Her state. She was governor there. If she can't win that, even if she wins New Hampshire, she would be out at that point, right, Josh? She'll lose both by double digits. She'll lose both by double digits. Double so you don't digits. believe the polls that say that she's what in striking distance she's, in New Hampshire? That's thirteen points is they're calling striking distance. Double digits. There's one other point here I really think it's important to make, and it really is made very poignantly and in an understated but yet dramatic way in Rachel Maddow's most recent book, which is Nazism is not foreign to the United States. And in fact, Hitler had great support in the United States. And it wasn't until uh, Japan uh, attacked Pearl Harbor that Germany declared war on the United States that this country united against Hitler. 
because he had great support in New York. He had great support in California. Yeah. He had great support in the United States Congress and in the Senate, as well as the House. The idea that we have not had a, let me put it in an affirmative statement, there is a strong vein of American politics and American polity that actually endorses that kind of authoritarianism, great man theory. We want that strong ruler. We actually look, many people look, for an American Hitler. I haven't seen a cloud this dark overhead in such a long time. I think we'll leave it there. We'll be right back. is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.